Gaming on the Frontier. This is Bruce. And this is Trav. Welcome to Gaming on the Frontier, your podcast of even though there's a biological holocaust going on, all we want to do is talk about gaming. And Jonathan is with us in the chat, but he's not on the call this evening. So it is Bruce and I that are going to be doing this. Yes. Uh-oh. Yep, uh, we are, liquidation is a pain, says uh, Jonathan. Well, you know, at least you have a job, so stop complaining. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just yeah. remember, he says, you know, uh, just put aside all those special things that you wanted for a really good price, and now you can finally get them. It's a really good time to be shopping. <laughs> Prices are good. All right, so tonight we are talking about uh, a tri-tac game that was released, oh my gosh, like, you know, in the 80s. Uh, I can't remember exactly when it was released. Um, and it was, uh, it, it is Rogue 417. Now, this was, uh, according to uh, what Richard says in it, it was originally supposed to be a campaign uh, setting for Morrow Project. But it was lost. And it was finally found in like some backup somewhere, and re and he took it then and decided to release it as a supplement to Fringeworthy, which is why there's going to be some references to things like that in it. But originally, it was supposed to be a post-apocalyptic um, adventure that took place on our world, but any alternate Earth that's similar to ours is is quite possible. And uh, we'll be going through it now. Of course, the dates that are that are listed in the in the game supplement are, of course, is as as, as classic TriTac, where they would say, "Let's just put it twenty years in the future." <laughs> twenty years comes and goes, and then we got to reset it to new dates. So anytime it says twenty ten, we can just imagine it's twenty twenty. And also, he re he did redo this in for the. 92 blue book edition okay because the copy i have it's for that yeah okay and um and i also noticed that doug blanchard provided some new art because there is a distinctly improved art every once in a while inside of the supplement <laughs> which is because it's it, it originally tritac released everything with what was called line art which was just simple line illustrations maybe some cross hatching but but none, none of the uh, no grayscale and no color for sure that was that you got color by printing on colored paper <laughs> that was primarily how, or printing in blue ink on you know on, on colored paper or something but uh, that wasn't how you normally got your um, uh, and, and if you and if you really wanted to do it a big, you'd get some stuff printed on at a printer, and then you'd bring it back and you'd run it through your laser 
uh, printer or your, or your copier to pr produce your actual supplements. Because Tritac, uh, for a long period of his, of his career, produced all of his supplements on, uh, on photocopiers. Um, and uh, they were uh, punched and spiral bound. Uh, originally, they were they were saddle stitched, which is a staple through the spine, and uh, they had their own of that. These days, you know, those those are hard. These days, it's hard to find a good uh, uh, saddle stitcher. You know? <laughs> but anyways, uh, so we are going to be talking about that and its similarities to the current uh, uh, coronavirus. And uh, but mostly we're talking uh, going to be talking about it as a possible campaign supplement, not supplement. I'm sorry, a campaign setting for your game, whatever game you're playing. And of course, Rogue Four Seventeen can be played by itself. This game has almost zero system content in it. Also, Bruce, um, I do remember that you can also run it as an alternate Bureau Thirteen campaign because I remember reading that. It was, there are bureau agents in that world. It the, the perspective is that you go through the portal and you're there as an IDET. And then you later would find out, oh, there's a Bureau 13 here and they're working to help rebuild society. No, they're not. <laughs> it says specifically they're not doing that. It's, it says they're basically too busy doing their own thing to worry about rebuilding society. Oh, Oh, it's been a while since I've read this. Uh -huh. I, I looked over it a little bit. I looked over it a little bit, you know, this weekend and just, yeah, it was just okay. Yeah, yeah, I remember these points. But I always thought that they were trying to help rebuild on the side. Nope, they they don't have, they basically don't have time for it. With the uh, with all these people dead, uh, there's lots of carcass, you know, with lots of material to work with. And of course, uh, all the supernatural are free to range about and do whatever they want to because they're not afraid of being hunted down by hordes of people with lighted pitchforks. Uh, so it's really a heyday. Yeah, they're doing their own thing, just trying to, you know, keep the supernatural from taking over too much. Yeah, keeping a lid on it. That's what they're doing. They're not worried about, you know, making sure the crops are planted or, you know, keeping the the nation of the United States still intact. They're literally trying to keep, you know, things from eating people on a regular basis, besides the things that are that are eating people on a regular basis that's in the actual game, <laughs> in, in this particular supplement. Also, folks, uh, along with this review, uh, I came up with a list. Yes, you know, we have our patented Bruce Sheffer outline, so I came up with one of my own. Uh, this is all my idea. As far This came to me Sunday morning. They're drinking coffee with the girlfriend. I'm like, oh, my God, this would be a... And so I put it on our group and got a green light. Um, basically, tips, uh, what I, I put here, tabletop gaming in the modern pandemic age. Because as of this taping... March 18th, 2020, it's been five days since President Trump declared a national emergency and the World Health Organization and the UN, no, this is a global pandemic. And so I have come up with several tips for those of you, because let's face it, a lot of us are not going to go out and so we're still going to want to gain. So I came up with a decent list for and I call it tabletop gaming in the modern pandemic age. We will do that later on after we go through Rogue Force 17 because I do believe Bruce 
we may have mentioned it. And as, as I said, other than a year and a half, I've been along most of the ride of this podcast. And I don't remember us ever doing Rogue 417 as a review or whatnot. We haven't. We might have just mentioned it in passing. Yes. Okay. Well, then the, it, this is all timing. It just everything clicking together. Okay. <laughs> How fortuitous. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, it, it, I knew if Fur, if Fur would be listening right now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. Hey, it's just Trav's limited powers over synchronicity, and I can hear the eye roll from here. Anyways. <laughs> that rumbling in the distance, right? Yeah, just like, oh, geez, really? Yeah, okay. Rogue Force 17. Oh, the, the reboot for the 92 edition came out in 2001. That is what I am seeing here from the copyright from TriTag Games. So it took a while for Rich to get, you know, rolling with this and updating all of his older modules, like Invasion USA and this one. And so, yes, you become a normal human survivor of the greatest disaster ever to fall on man. Your day-to-day -day survival will be a battle of wits with semi-human victims of the final plague. You will survive and travel across the once populated cities of the world, now the vast empty tombs of civilization, where death walks in every shadowed doorway. But all hope is not lost. There are other survivors and explorers from an alternate Earth who will band together with you in the hopes of a new beginning. To find them, you must survive. And that was the flavor text that Rich put in. And, yeah, I'm reading the chronology here. Yes, they did put it in January 2010. You know, your mileage can vary. You can put this whatever date you want. Yeah, this is the fourth edition. As far as the chronology here. Yeah. Um... And it, it, from what I'm seeing here, it took two years to just go through, or no, a year. Within a year, this, this virus did its thing and just. Well, yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's a little, the, 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 the timing is a little hinky. Uh, <laughs> so, and, and the, uh, uh, and, and he basically doesn't, he is, he's not 100% consistent because first he says that it was designed as a bioweapon. Actually, later on, he says it's designed, but here at the very beginning, it says that it was released uh, by lab workers and then it mutated into a deadly form. Okay, so that, is, that assumes that it did not start deadly, uh, but later on, they refer to it as being a bioengineered uh, uh, virus. So, I always assumed that it was a biological weapon that was being de being designed in uh, a laboratory in the Mideast and somebody bought, you know, boggled the, uh, you know, oopsied, uh, as they have on the back page, uh, a guy in a turban's oopsing a big a vial and, and it falls down and everybody panics and doesn't, uh, doesn't want to get stuck, you know, inside, runs for the hills, spreading it as they go. So, yeah, that's that's kind of the idea. And, of course, things happen. Uh, um, we're seeing here by May of that year, one country, you know, starts nuclear missile launches. And so it just escalates because, well, it, it's kind of like how it is now, folks. If you've seen your local grocery stores, you're already seeing the mob mentality going on. I mean, this is all available at, at TriTechGames.com. So you guys can get this and, you know, find this out. You're going to find some. Well, yeah, yeah. 
and it's going to be, you're going to see some frightening similarities here. I, I, one thing I've always noted Rich for, there were some things that I just saw, like in the Portals books, that he was very prescient with. And I'm just like, ooh, just, you know, you get that chill down the spine. And by, yeah, as I said, within a year, it just the world collapses. And it's just to, to everybody just losing their damn minds because this, it becomes a global pandemic and it just sweeps across continents. And Rich even put what, what the virus, it says destroyed more than 84, that 85% of the unfortunate people who contracted it. A string virus like Ebola, rogue attacked the central nervous system and destroyed nerves and neural tissue with lightning speed. Uh, though the virus was short-lived, it took four years for the survivors to confirm that no new cases existed. And he plotted it out pretty decently as far as stage one, neurogenic shock, the survivors. And of course, there were five stages of survivors. And... There even has in here, yeah, there was a, well, several versions of a vaccine. The first one just provided uh, a, about five weeks of immunity. And then by the time they got it right, it was 95% chance of immunity. And unfortunately... But there was hardly anybody left. Well, yeah. Well, the people locking themselves down in labs. Yeah, I had to look at the very back where they have the actual... Um, adventure that he has uh, and see which version of it they were actually giving the player characters. Yeah. But one of the possibilities here is not to play Friendsworthy, but instead to go and be people who are surviving the the early years. And uh, there's an adventure that takes place. You're working for the government and 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 at the end, if you're if you do the right things, at the end of it, you get your hands on some vials of vaccine that you can use to make yourself, you know, uh, immune. So I'm not sure what that which version that was. Hopefully they mentioned it in that. But you have the option, even you know, from the get go in this particular supplement to be just play a regular person. I'll bet you're a specialist <laughs> to. Uh, uh, in in the in the disaster in in the post apocalyptic world you're not an outsider yeah like you would be in, with fringeworthy and also with how this neurogenic virus hit there was a good chance that if you uh, surviving may not always still been optimal it's the running thing the lucky ones are the ones that you know got taken out by the virus because there are several levels of uh, stage two through five and then people who end up being immune to it. You have the stalkers, the prowlers, the idiots, the potentials, and then the Ims. The stalkers are the minimally, al yeah. minimally alive survivors who lived through the ravages of 417 and are now reduced to the level of mindless, cannibalistic savages. Hunting alone or in packs, they are the monsters of the post-plague world. They're basically the biological zombies. Yes. Um, feet, hands, and teeth have become their only weapons. They have no potential to regain their lives and are best disposed of. The Prowlers same the share, yeah, share the same mental level with the added bonus of some memory and skills. They're crafty and dangerous, sometimes able to remember the use of modern weapons. They may band together in packs to hunt survivors for food. There is the cumulative 10% chance per year that a Prowler can deteriorate into a savage stalker. Right, but it doesn't go up. Oh, no, no, no. They don't get better. No. 
Then you have the idiots. These survivors are identical to stage three without the violent tendencies. They tend to secret themselves in livable surroundings with the average intelligence of a seven-year-old. They have at best a minimal life expectancy. Many of the survivors have taken to protecting these helpless fools because of their resemblance to stage five victims. And then you have the potentials. These victims have a chance to regain lost intelligence skills. At- Which are the stage five. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, stage five. Yeah, potentials are stage five. Yes, every D10 months, they will suffer through a D6 day fever with 35% chance of the recovery of their normal pre-Rogue 417 intelligence. If they, fa- if they fall, another D10 months will pass before their bodies make the recovery attempt. Then you have the immunes. These are the normal people who were never affected by or recovered fully from the virus. And they also could be ones that were either got a vaccine or they just locked themselves away where they were never infected. Scattered and rare, they fight the day-to-day battle for survival. Immunes fall into a wide range of categories for survival types. And also, apparently, uh, mankind was not the only species to be affected by this. So I believe the term is zoogenic. Okay, mutagenic, yeah. Well... Zoogenic, okay. I never heard that term before. To Where it can cross species. Oh, it definitely crossed species. Yes. Um, rats gained a mass mind, a psionic ability that allowed cooperation and problem solving. Yeah, slight hiding intelligence and a touch of psionic ability. Yeah, they didn't say any others that I see here. They mentioned the rats. Oh, there's there's lots of pictures of them. Yeah. there's If you look through the various pictures, you can see different things like uh, apes, I think, were one of them, uh, like monkeys. Um, they got real huge. They were actually driving around in Jeeps. Uh, yeah, um, there's... I'm just saying is that, you know, I'm, I'm sh- that very, lots of different animals, but, you know, obviously, but, they, and they were uh, mo- mostly, they were mammalian. So we weren't, you don't get crocodiles having mass minds. Thank goodness. Right. No, 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 no. See that, that's right. I can hear Pixie just going, no, 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 no. Um, and of course, society survivor groups split off into different cultures and communes. You had, Farmers, you had the city folk, the auto gypsies, the devastators, the vigilantes, the anti-techies. And each of the, as I said, society rearranged itself due to the collapse of the society they were all raised in. Uh, Like the, the the farmers, yeah, they were just scattered, loosely knit groups that continued to provide food from the land. And they would often trade it and they were suspicious of outsiders. They were these, you know, little grouped together villages and the villages may have traded with each other, but you know, it's like, Oh, we have a couple bushels of corn. Well, we got some wheat. Let's trade. We're all good. And they're armed camps. Obviously they would have amassed weapons because you'd have to deal with the devastators coming in, trying to steal their crops or just burn them just out of spite. Yeah. I mean, keep in mind, you know, 85% sounds like a really big number, but Atlanta has 5 million people living in it. That means that after this is after this is over, not entirely over. I'm just talking about the initial die-off because that was you know that people died within a period of about a couple of days. It was d four d six hours of fever, and then you're either dead or you're alive. Yeah, there was hardly any time before uh, uh, gestation. Uh, that's seven hundred and fifty thousand people left. Um, that's just under this current population of Detroit. 
Detroit has like the city of Detroit itself, which is like a 141 square mile city. I think the current population of the city of Detroit as of 2020 is maybe 830,000 people. Jeez. Wow. Okay. Yeah, that, that, that's a sobering number there. Yeah, that means you have 124,000 and a half, you know, left after this happens, which is why, you know, it, it's, it, it becomes such a, you know, such a huge disaster because you've got all those dead people not getting taken care of. You've got the stalkers that are continuing to attack. Um, you've got people not having any food. Uh, you got the various human groups that are that are going rogue, you know, and every and you say the mob mentality. So it is tr literally dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria going on. Mass hysteria. <laughs> yeah, it truly is. So the biggest threat is still the other human beings after this happens. Well, man's inhumanity to man. Yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. So. When, when, it, when you play this, just keep in mind the fact that the biggest threat you have is not going to be the stalkers. Uh, it's going to be the people that are trying to take what little you have away from you. Yeah, uh, Jonathan just said, imagine Thanos' snap, but worse. Yeah. Yeah, he, you, they lost 50% in that case. Yeah, well, they lost 50%, but uh, that's, this is 85%. And, and the thing is, is that, you know, you're, it's not like everyone said, oh, okay, you know, we're, uh, you know, we'll just scrunch together, you know, and refill in all the, the populations and stuff like that. I mean, it's, it doesn't work like that. They don't like somehow pull it together and say, well, okay, so now we need, uh, you know, we only have one, you know, 15% of the engineers, so we're all going to be meet together in, you uh, what was it in, in, in the stand? Boulder? Boulder and Las, Ve Las Vegas actually got the majority of the engineers, according to Stephen King's story. So it, it, there's nothing in this book that says, hey, the call went out over the airwaves, and hey, if you have technical skills, we're all just leave wherever you are, and we're all going to consolidate in this location and, you know, and, and build anew. You know, it, it doesn't happen. Nobody, nobody does that. There's no nobody's smart enough apparently to do that, um, or they just get preyed upon if they try. I'm not sure, you know, why. I mean, Richard is normally a very positive kind of guy, but he really glosses over the carnage that follows in the uh, uh, immediately after the the disease takes place. Yeah, fur uh, furball seventy seven in the chat. My my girlfriend fur. Yeah, zombies. Yes. This is basically they're viral zombies, as in it, it's a neurogenic uh, bioengineered, well, it was a bioengineered virus. It was a virus, but it later mutated into a harmful form. I, I would just ignore that and just assume that it was always supposed to be that way. It was, it was actually a virus that was designed, yeah. That, that, it was, that it was a weaponized virus and just somebody messed up on the cleanup and it escaped. Yeah, I, I mean, they didn't test it publicly, so they didn't know that some people would survive and become stalkers and such. They didn't know, you know, they just figured it'd either kill you or it wouldn't kill you. And so, yeah, this is, um, how, what's the movie? Brad Pitt. World War Z kind of thing. About the same time, uh, Last Man on Earth. 
you know, those, those you know, aggressive uh, attacking. And of course, you know, 30, 28 uh, days later, or, you know, where the, you know, they basically, they have a rage virus. I mean, these are living people who are no longer people. <laughs> Jonathan, we do not admit that movie exists, the World War Z. Oh, <laughs> Jonathan's in the same camp with a lot of people with uh, Highlander 2. Okay, got it. Yeah. Uh, there are almost like 20 different types of human groups. Right. Uh, as I said, far farmers, city communities, auto gypsies, devastators, vigilantes, anti-techies, wolves and sheep, reborn Americans, survivalists, crazies, meds, max gunsmiths, foreigners, and teachers. Right. And it just the wolves would be the new the new Indians of the forest. They basically take up the ways of the older Native American, where they just live off the land and they're survive. Well, they really are the survivalists, except not the survivalists. They're just the the, the difference between the two is the survivalists are uh, just stay away from us. <laughs> they're they're insular. Yeah, the survivalists. I would see them as your your stereotypical militiaman, the preppers. That I believe would be the new term is what you would call the survivalists. Yeah, they have their encampments. And nobody better come within a range of a you know a thousand foot range, while the yeah the the wolves were more of, of like a a hunting group. They you know they they, yeah. they they formed loose confederations of of hunters and and scroungers and you know basically you know hunter gatherers. The term wolves sounds a little aggressive because they are they're just they're basically a large. Um, pack of humans that live off the land is what I'm, you know, you know, and, and, uh, but also hunt as compared to the sheep. Yeah. Jonathan put survivalists live in a fortified bunker. The wolves are in the mobile camps. Okay. Yeah. The wolves are nomadic and, you know, would like, you know, how the, the native Americans were back, you know, a couple centuries ago, they had their various men, you know, teepees and wigwams and whatnot. And they would up and move with herds and, yeah, you know, hunter gatherer. So right, but also your um, your uh, fur trappers. You know, those guys lived. They lived a fairly um, singular life, but then they would come back together into trapping towns and 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 blow all their money in a day that took them a year to to put together. Well, yeah, I mean that that's heck. That's part of the history of Michigan up here. You had the French coming in, all the French fur traders and everything intermixing with the. Indian American Native American cultures and everything. Let's see up here. It was the, and I I will try to get do these names justice. The Ottawa, O D U W A, the Bodwatomi, which we would bastardize and call the Potawatomi, and the Ojibwe, which was bastardized into Chippewa. And I'm I'm trying to do the proper names for these tribes and nations. Because I have gotten more than my fair share of flack for typing the Americanized version. And I even did research on, it was for those of you who know, the Michike campaign that I, me and a former friend of mine did. So I had to do the research on all the various Indian tribes. But yeah, they, the French fur traders, they interacted with them. And yeah, the French fur trade, oh, the French fur trade is a massive part of Michigan's history. So they would they just fell back in type with 
that lifestyle of like the 1700s and the early 1800s. A lot, most people, they just went back to a pre-industrial revolution culture. Right. If you don't have skills and you don't want to spend your life digging holes in the dirt to grow crops and you still want to keep your soul, then you uh, start uh, hunting and, um, and trapping and, and, and scavenging. But we were talking about the sheep. I think the sheep is interesting because I have not seen the sheep as described in any other post-apocalyptic campaign. Yeah, where they're just, they're, they're at best self-defense pacifists. And even then they will subdue more than kill. They do use technology. And like the Romani, they created their own secret language of symbols and graffiti that tell others, okay, you know, there's water here, you know, go to this place and uh, travel for these folk are mostly during the night or on dank or rainy days. They will know of your presence long before you suspect theirs. Find sheep in pairs for the most part or a single individual not far from a family or flock as they like to call themselves. They do use technology and stockpile supplies and equipment for future need. They make caches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, the, and the information where those caches are shared, you know, amongst other sheep. Even though this is a terrible world that they've inherited, they're still finding a way to live without having to kill you know, unnecessarily. Yes. Yeah. I mean, only in the, like say, they're basically like slargs. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Or uh, if I may use um, uh, uh, Kwai Chang Kane from uh, Kung Fu, you know, flee rather than fight, fight rather than uh, injure, injure rather than maim, maim rather than kill, and kill rather than be killed. Yeah, so... That's basically their philosophy. They, they'll always try to avoid conflict whenever it's possible to do so. And by keeping themselves unaligned, you know, uh, except for very small groups, they don't, you can't, it's really hard to like say, if you don't come out, we're going to kill so-and-so. And they're going to like, I don't know who that is. Oh, uh, let's see. You have here the reborn Americans. In rural areas, cargoes of rogue vaccine found their way into the hands of local populace, and entire small towns survived relatively intact. Many of these heartland folk have adopted a stern attitude of survival that can border on the fanatical, believing they are the true representation of the American way of life that will defend their beliefs to the death. While many of these communities are safe places to live, a few have turned ruthlessly xenophobic to protect mom, apple pie, church, and their heritage of American value. These values can vary wildly from group to group and create problems for other survivor groups in the area. Some surviving sociologists believe that their mindset is stuck in the year 1957 and they are guilty over their own survival when so many perished. Ooh, yeah. And, and you know that they're going to be ethnically pure, right? Yeah, that, that, that Rich didn't touch upon that, but yeah, in that mindset, unfortunately, you're going to have the mindsets of that era, which were not all that today would not be very popular at all. The good old days was, was conspicuously white. Yes, yes. Hence the term whitewashing when you, you know, do that. Yeah. Mm. The survivalists knew the end was coming and were prepared for it with weapons and equipment. Yeah, they were the preppers, basically. Right. Uh, they didn't know what, what end was coming, but they knew some end was coming. So they were ready. The problem with survivalists is, is that you, you got to have enough people to pull the triggers or all those mobs of hungry people are going to overrun you anyways. 
Uh, let's see. In Idaho, Michigan, and Montana, entire cities have been reclaimed with the help of heavy weapons and the threat of excess excessive retribution. There are even rumors of a return of criminals and dissidents being used as slave labor and the poorest re-education of values. Yeah, basically armed prison camps. Yeah, sure. If you're not working, we're not feeding you. That's 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 biblical. Yeah. Well, and even then, they they'll feed you just enough to keep you alive. Right. You know, they'll injure you just enough where it's like, yeah, you can work, but you're not going to run very far, you know. You don't need all of your foot. You can survive without a finger, yeah. yeah. That pinky don't has don't have no use, yeah. No, the one I liked, though, were the crazies. Ah. <laughs> yes. Richard was always good with those guys. Last of the former Wall Street thinkers, corporate presidents, and economic wizards unable to cope with the collapse of society, wandering in packs or alone, still tapping their cell phones or making plans for that weekend golf outing, they are rapidly becoming extinct. They occasionally cling to the ruins of a corporate headquarters, taking charge of protecting small fans of idiots that he or she has installed in offices. What few realize is that crazies can be rehabilitated and brought back into the world with a lot of understanding. They are often excellent managers of materials and the economics of survival after therapy. Doctors believe that this state is an after effect of rogue that unbalances brain chemicals or was an immune mechanism that protected them during the worst of the disease. Well, yeah, because you had the, what was it here? Kind of a prowler, but they weren't violent, but just their minds, because remember, neurotoxin, it rewrote neural pathways. Yeah. So for them, it was just, they were so into that corporate lifestyle. And remember, this was done in 2000, this, this new version was done in 2001. So yes, yuppie era. Ch basically, the crazies were the locked-in-place yuppies, <laughs> and 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 upper management. And yeah, so you 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 can you can play that stereotype just uh, hacking back, man. <laughs> well, just imagine you know any of these corporate cultures where, especially the Japanese corporate cultures, and I'm only picking on them because they have some good examples of that. Where it's literally they they. They basically tell you, you know, who you are and, 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 that, and that the corporation is everything and this is what we believe and this is how we're going to win and all this stuff like that. And everybody's expected to not just mouth it, but live it. And so these guys are basically doing that. They're, they have internalized every piece of propaganda that their corporation or their belief system has, you know, uh, been selling as advertisement. They're, not, they're now taking that as fact as gospel well yeah that that that's the term and they even took a loan word from us and that would be the they they turned it into the sorariman which is those type of corporate i hate to use slaves but i mean they've been so indoctrinated to their corporation's philosophy and mission statements that that's what they live and the term would be sorariman uh, Jonathan said, survivalists equal bargain basement amateur moral project. And then the crazies just sound like a must-have comic relief for each for Rogue 417 campaign. Yeah, exactly, Jonathan. Yeah. And as I said, folks, Jonathan is typing in. He couldn't join the call this evening. But yeah, we're I'm, I'm that's kind of my job now since I don't think Bruce can see the chat all that much while he's running the call. So, okay. So, yeah, I'm just letting it know for the other listeners and whatnot. But yeah, oh no, crazies. I'm sorry, that's the only way I could see that you could play them was comic relief with a touch of pity because it even says you can rebuild, rehabilitate. Uh, the, mouth, the mouth worked yesterday on the show, folks. It was the tech that was failing. You can rehabilitate, 
rehabilitate them. And once you do, they are excellent managers of resources. They know logistics. They know, okay, we have this over here. If we trip, they would make excellent uh, mouthpieces in a campaign. Yeah, we need, you know, these bullets and we've got these bandages here. We'll do a trade, you know. But that's after you rehabilitate them and get them. They're basically the Tom Collins of, uh, of Rogue 417. Tom Collins was the guy who seemed like he was mentally deficient in the stand. But sometimes he was, he was uh, more connected to what was going on than everybody else. It has been a long time since I saw that. That I'm not a huge Stephen King fan. Fur is the Stephen King fan. Oh. But yeah, I remember seeing the miniseries ages ago. So, I mean, I remember a few people that were in it. Yeah, I read the novel. Oh, oh, you blocked away some time for that. Oh, yeah. you betcha. Yeah, I, I didn't read the extended version because it wasn't available when I read it. And when they said, oh, here, here's an extended version with another 300 pages on top of the 800, I said, I, got, I think I got it. Well, because I know The Stand is the longest horror novel ever because Battlefield Earth is the longest science fiction novel. And I remember The Stand was, yeah, well, The Stand outdid Battlefield Earth by like 12 or three, four hundred pages. I was like, oh, okay, yeah. And Battlefield Earth, that was like a that was like a triathlon trying to read that one. Um okay, the next one are the meds. The remaining doctors who weren't stoned by mobs or eaten by stalkers soon became a luxury in a world where high-tech medicine can no longer exist. Medical help was a bottle of aspirin. The post-rogue doctor had gone back to the old Hippocratic oath, taking a few trade items or a hot dinner for services rendered. Many, again, have become dedicated professionals who have a mission to help the sick and injured. Most valued are the GP or traveling general practitioner or traveling doctor who roam the roads on horseback or in hitching or by hitching rides. Of all the survivor groups, even devastators have some respect for these healers. On the downside, some powerful groups have been known to enslave meds for their own use. Remembering that meds are few and far between, as well as expensive and post-Holocaust trade items. Um, yeah, mostly... They adopted the old thing, you know, no army shoots a doctor. If you know there's, a, you see the Red Cross on the arm, yeah, you don't harm them. That's just sort of like an unwritten rule of war, it seems. And it's a convention that goes through all types of stories. If you, It's like, because the enemy's not going to shoot the doctor because they can use him and have him treat their people. So yeah, it's, they kind of just are the last bastions of, life sciences, biology, botany, medicine. And I think that Richard kind of missed a, uh, missed a bet here because he doesn't mention uh, midwives and he doesn't mention herbalists. Uh, midwives in the early 2000s, I think he either he just wasn't aware of them or they weren't as big as, you know, like, what what's the term? Doulas? D-O-U-L-A? Historically, they were essential. Yeah, yeah. I mean, most babies in history have been birthed by midwives, not by doctors. Yeah. So the people who still have those skills and could be trained, they would be of great, great value. Uh, and it is, a, it is a skill. It's not just something that every woman learns by going through it herself. Usually every village would have a single midwife. 
And, uh, and herbalism is even more important because that's where most of your drugs are going to be coming from in the post-apocalyptic world. They're literally growing out of the ground next to the road. But you have to be able to recognize them and you have to know what to do once you, you get them. After you harvest them, how do you render them in such a way that you get the most value out of them? And how do you, you, know, how do you administer them? For what are they good for, really? Not what, this, not what they say on the back of, you know, uh, Herbal Life magazines. Yeah, yeah. I mean, do you, I mean, uh, you know, do you know where, where to get salicylic acid? Me? Not particularly, no. I would just go down to, you know, GNC or something. Yeah, right, exactly. That's aspirin, and it's, got, and it's primarily gotten from bark. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah. I remember hearing about that, yeah. So bark tea was one of the best ways of, of getting that into somebody. But if you don't know where it, what kind of trees have that kind of bark or and, and how, to, how to steep it or whatever so you don't lose its value, then, you know, you end up with people who are suffering greatly. You know, uh, fevers, killing people, they turn, you know, lots of, lots of things, uh, I mean, you know, aspirin, salicylic acid is, is one of the great wonder drugs of history, human history. Uh, Jonathan, real quick, it is sometimes easy to forget that this setting is at best only a few years after the outbreak, so most survivors would have full memory of their old world profession. Yeah. So, yeah, the, these people are now, they still have their skills, they just don't have the technology. The science is there. All those bloggers. <laughs> yeah. And no internet. Well, speaking of, yeah. Speaking of technology, the next two groups are, they are the ones that are keeping technology going. You have the mechs and the gunsmith. The mechs are the last of the mechanics able to repair the failing technologies and broken machinery of the 21st century. These individuals, depending on skill and reputation, become increasingly valuable to small communities. Uh, skills make them both rare and the targets for anti-techies are like nothing better than to burn them on a pile of textbooks. Uh, some mechs with skills in auto repair have created the great rolling trade trucks and tractor trailer forts that now travel, that travel the now empty freeways. Uh, these trucks are an instant trade center of working machinery, firearms, and supplies that may be hard to find. Many mechs have teamed with gunsmiths for protection from anti-techies or hostile survivalists. Their eventual plan is to pool resources and restore electrical power to mostly intact city like Denver, Milwaukee, or Akron. Now, the gunsmiths, they're the weapon experts in demand as the use and repair of weapons becomes more and more difficult. Able to reload rounds and make gunpowder, the gunsmith often sets up a fortress trading post that serves as a community, serves a community or group of communities. The average gunsmith has skills in the manufacture of precise metal parts, so they are doubly in demand to help fix important machinery. The new credo of the gunsmith is that all Americans now have the duty to carry a gun for protection from stalkers and other hostiles. They're also the target of powerful survivors. Seems a little self-serving. Uh, well, Hugh, I, I learned this. One of the things, uh, the first thing I read in a college civics book, these four words, human nature is self-interest. And I've, I've lived by that credo since college, and I've come to realize, yeah, it's true. If you look at anything, you know, it's, yeah. So, yeah, these guys are just, you know, they, they accepted that as their credo, too. Gunsmiths are also the target of powerful survivors who would enslave them for their skills or use them to help restore stocks of heavy military weapons that are squirreled away in many locations. Nah. Jonathan, want to drive an anti-techie crazy, drop an iPod in their midst, and then run like hell. Yep. <laughs> Here, a little something for you. Oh, tech! Yeah. Um, 
so yeah, between the, the mechs and the gunsmiths and the meds, these three hold the vital skill sets that are going to help to stabilize society and then hopefully rebuild it from the ashes of the old. They Those three, well, and also uh, teachers, which will come up in a bit. You have the foreigners. Whether stranded from tours or a migration of survivors, the foreigners disturbing to the other survivors and a target of fear and mistrust. After Rogue, it was rumored survivors from a number of third world nations boarded freighters and moved to the continental U.S. because of its high technology and rich resource base. Hindu villages now in California, Arabs are running caravans out of Detroit, and even Maasai farmers in Florida. Foreigners clump in communities of their own people, though they will trade and make friends, trade with and make friends with outlying towns of individuals. Once a friend, they will work and fight alongside any survivors who are in trouble. Most survivors realize that foreigners are just folks, and in a generation or two will become Americans like everyone else. Uh, yeah, about the uh, target of fear and mistrust. Uh, I want to bring up a point here about uh, current day real life here. One of my gamers, Amber Allen, her husband Joe and his family run a gun shop. And needless to say, Joe is, he, he let me know Sunday because Amber was there on the Skype. And yeah, I'm running out of merch. And I have found out the biggest demographic that are buying guns right now. And this comes back to that fear and mistrust thing. Chinese people. Probably Asians, but specifically Chinese people, because there are still a lot of people out there that can't tell the difference between someone from Thailand, China, Japan, Korea, what have you. And he said, one, it's because Chinese people, they'll bring their, you know, like business people will bring their families over. And one of the things they like to do that you know full well you can't do in mainland China is go to a gun range. You know full well in China they don't have that. But also, hate crimes against Chinese have unfortunately and regrettably have become in the past month or so have risen. So into Joe's gun shop, he's had a massive influx of Chinese customers. And as soon as I saw that fear and mistrust, that reminded me of uh, Joe telling me that Sunday, this past Sunday. And so, yeah, if you have, and I mean, of course, Detroit, yeah, Air, Arab caravans running, running out of Detroit. As some of you may know, the Detroit area, Southeast Michigan, has the highest concentration of Middle Eastern people outside of the Arab world especially in the city of Dearborn, the home of Ford Motor Company. The headquarters is there in Dearborn, Michigan. And, and I've probably mentioned this on the podcast before. The further east you go into Dearborn, if you're heading east and you go past the Ford World Headquarters, which is an iconic building here in the Detroit area, you will start seeing more and more of the signs in English and Arabic. And I would imagine even maybe Farsi which is the Iranian language. So yeah, it just, we have the massive, and I mean, we've got areas with Hindu and Pakistani. There's a Hindu and Pakistani neighborhood not too far from uh, my place here. You can drive down a certain stretch of Ford Road. Boom, there's Hindu and Pakistani stores everywhere and a few restaurants and supplies and um, because, you know, different countries use different voltage, uh, voltage regulators that you can plug your stuff in from the old country, as it were, and you won't blow out your electrical wiring in your home. Um, 
So yeah, these foreigners, and you can draw this from real life. Let's say you're running a Rogue 417 campaign in your hometown. You could draw from real life. Okay, you know in this neighborhood here, like Detroit, we have Hamtramck, formerly a predominantly Polish community. Many Middle Eastern people moved in, and I think I've mentioned this on the podcast too, where there are now speakers that do the prayer tones all over the city because of the influx of Middle Eastern people came there. So you can use that. You could have the older Polish people and the newer, younger Middle Eastern people. And let's say you're trying to eke out an existence post Rogue 417 north of Detroit. You could do that. That would be a real good way. Research the communities in your in your town and play off of that. And that would be something, you know, would add in that term verisimilitude into your game because your players will know, oh yeah, well this neighborhood over here as, you know, we have like Chinatown and over here and we have a little Italy and, you know, like New York. Yeah, you're going to have that all over the place. So yeah, the foreigners, I mean, you could really add a certain flavor to your campaign if you model it after a real city. And it that just again, just a matter JFGI, just frolling Google it. And you'll find out, even in a Wikipedia uh, entry of a city, it breaks down demographics. Because I've had to do research for cities for my campaigns, and you say, oh, like 97.3% white, non-Hispanic, and 3.5% African-American, and then they just break down everything. And if you do further research, they'll be able to tell, oh, here's a neighborhood here, they have this neighborhood, it's known for this, and so on and so on. So yeah, the foreigners, I, I did like that too, because it does add, and of course, Pete, folks, you don't want to get into the stereotypes, please, because you will get called on that by your gamers if you try doing that stuff. I mean, it didn't work, it didn't work well for George Lucas in episode one, let's face it, we all know this. So just, if you do the foreigners thing, play them correctly, don't do stereotypes. Because you will get a lot, you will get some people hot under the collar with this. Okay. Um, there was something else I wanted to do. I mentioned that we were going to do tabletop gaming in the modern pandemic age. And I wrote up, and I said, I've, I've come up with this list over the past couple of days. And as a GM of the past easily 30 years, very few, and, and Bruce, a little longer. Very few things surprise us anymore unless it's in the what our players can think of after we spend weeks or months planning a scenario. But as far as how to run the games and everything, there are certain things that, you know, it's the old joke, well, we can't decide on what we want on our pizza and all that. No. Now with this, and, and again, it's not a dirty word. We're in a global pandemic. The World Health Organization has, it. no, this is a pandemic. We have countries that are locked down. Canada, which is 30 minutes to the east of me, has blocked all commercial uh, tourist traffic. The only things going over into Canada and coming back are basically semi-trucks. Trade. That, this is a global pandemic. We have social distancing. You are expected to keep at least six feet from other people. No more than 10 people in a group at a time. My job, I can't have more than 10 people in the lunchroom anymore. If there are 10 people in our lunchroom, you go find a conference room or something and spend your break or your lunch. So I have come up with tabletop gaming in the modern pandemic age. Now, this first one is the most important one because 
And and there's some medical information. I might give a shout out here to Miss Miranda Johnson, dear friend of mine who works up at the Mid Michigan Medical Center in Midland, Michigan. It is part of the University of Michigan Medical Network. She has been in the medical and psychiatric field for five years now, and she is yay close to getting her nursing degree. So I've been consulting with her over the past couple of weeks about all this because, you know, how Trav has peeps. She's one of my med peeps. Anyways, so this COVID-19 coronavirus, it is similar to the SARS virus we had a couple of years ago. It's of the same branch family of, of viruses. And so that's why they are saying it is spread by fluids and you touch something and you're not, that's why they say, wash your hands, soapy, warm soapy water for 20 seconds. Find a bit or a song from your favorite fandom and sing along in your head while you're washing up. Get under your nails. Scrub like you're doing surgery. Get every part of your hand in between the fingers, under your fingernails if you can. Then afterwards, use hand sanitizer. Most hand sanitizers are 70% alcohol. Get that real good off the wrist and everything. Carry hand sanitizer with you. I have a pump bottle in my living room. I got one in my coat and I got one in my locker at work. So if we're going to be gaming in this age, the first thing we need to do, Skype and Discord are your friends. Virtual gaming. There are cameras. You can, If you need to show pictures, oh, like I need to show this map, hold it up to the camera or take a picture of it and send it via Facebook Messenger or whatever. This is just like the old play-by-email things that used to be out there. But if you can't, if you don't need to get together, don't. Skype and Discord will work for now. I Skype in gamers, and I've had them as far away as Baltimore and Omaha and Chicago. So Skyping your role-playing games does work. Discord works really good, too. You can set up your own private chat for that. I believe Roll20 is another one that has it. I'm not sure Google Hangouts is still around, but if it is, you could try that. And Okay, they had a dice rolling app that you could, you know, it was like an overlay. Now, let's say, okay, this is the first best method. This is to avoid any possibility of passing this along. However, there are some people that don't have internet, Jeff and Josie for one. And also, you have to take into account that, let's face it, a lot of us geeks, gamers, and whatnot aren't in the best of health. There are some of us that are immune compromised, just diabetes, which means technically with diabetes, you are immune compromised. So if you are going to get together, these are things you need to do. Uh, basically, folks, you there's also the running joke that a lot of gamers... Some of them had bad hygiene. Me and Bruce both had to deal with people in our years that were just, and I'm going to say this, they were butt funky. Just, there is a song by my buddy Rob Balder, the guy. You saw his booth at um, Gen Con. He does Earthworld, the webcomic. He did kind of music beforehand. He did a song called Gamer Funk. We hear Gamer, this podcast, where as of now, Gamer Funk is done because the opposite is not good. What happens if you don't use hygiene? I'm going to be frank. It could kill people. We're drawing a line at Gamer Funk at this point, folks. Sterilize your gaming area. Disinfect your table and any hard chairs. If you like have hard plastic chairs, get Lysol spray, wipe them down completely, wipe off the top of your gaming table with, you know, like lemon disinfectant spray or whatever, and just, just everything. 
Obviously, like you have a couch or something, you really can't do that. But, you know, any hard surface, clean it down. No sharing of things. Don't share your dice. Don't share your pencils. Don't, you know, books. I mean, don't let people handle your books. Everybody brings sanitizer. You all use your own hand sanitizer. And food or drink. Don't have the communal bowl of Cheetos there. Everybody drink out of their own. Here, Tate, no, no. Let me have a hit of that. No, you can't be doing this anymore. If you have to sneeze, first of all, if you can, get away from the table, but still sneeze into your elbow or into your shirt. Do not sneeze into your hands. And even if you do sneeze, still it's a good idea to do the wash and sanitize protocol. Try to have enough room for everybody in the group. Remember, the government and the CDC say six feet is the good thing for social distancing. Try to have a big enough area where everybody can have a modicum of room because they'll be still sanitizing and all this. And so they can, you know, still try to have room for everybody. Players, and I'm going to shout out and I put this in caps, mine in particular. Clean up after yourselves. The GM and or host don't need extra work. Take your trash and take it out to the dumpster or whatever, or put it in a bag and take it home and throw it out. Don't leave all your food and all that behind because that's extra work because you're gonna have, you're gonna want to sanitize again after the game's over. And the most, yeah, the most important thing here is we need to get rid of we gamers, and it is a bad stereotype. I had a friend, Jeremy Caulfield, went to Gen Con. A funky gamer rubbed up against him, and there was a film on this guy. Jeremy said it took five times to wash this off, and he couldn't get out of the way. My friend Jeremy is spina bifida, so he's in a wheelchair. It's not exactly he could, like, dodge this guy. No, this guy rubbed up against him, and there was just a film. Gamer funk ends as of this moment. If you're going to be gaming in this new age where we have a global pandemic, hygiene is absolutely important. I'm going to use some lyrics from Rob Balder's song. Bert's bees are not bees. Lava soap is not made of lava. And I'm going to use the, 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 the lyric here that rhymes. And if there's a problem, I can get it out later. Take a cloth to your junk so you don't have the game or funk. If you don't want that in there, Bruce, we can edit it out later. But yeah, just, okay. But just, I'm, I'm half tempted to hawk Balder just in uh, the music, but uh, robbalder.com. Anyways, he's a friend of mine, you know. So, yeah, we need to, if you're going to game, virtual gaming is the best. Just set up Skype, Discord, Roll20, whatever. I'm sure there are other ones that I've mentioned. If you have that, use it. It works. But if you are going to get together, cleanliness and hygiene are the absolute important facets of this. Because a lot of us gamers are immune suppressed or one way or another. You have people with lupus. You got people with diabetes. You, your GM might be older, and so you need to keep it clean, keep it sanitized. If you are sick, don't come to the game. Skype in, or your GM will just say, "Okay, you're doing this this week." Just we need to up our hygiene game on this because, yeah. Going out is not an option. Michigan has no bars or restaurants or anything open anymore. 
Monday, March 16th, 3 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, Governor Gretchen Whitmer shut down everything like gyms and bars and restaurants unless they have carryout. So there's not a lot of places to go out anymore. So you're going to be inside. You're going to want a game just to blow off steam. Skype and Discord, if not, follow the, the protocols I just said, and we should be fine. Obviously, if you are sick, don't come to the game. It is not that important. Stay home and get well, even if it's just a cold or if you do get the flu or a stomach bug, don't come to the game. It is more important that you get healthy and stay healthy, especially now. Wow, that's the first time I've ever done a Travran on the Gaming on the Frontier podcast. This is weird. Usually I do it on my show. But yeah, I, I just had... Oh, well, no, I had to get this out because my roommate is immune compromised. He's got asthma, COPD, and he just got out of the hospital. So if I bring sick people here, that's bad to him. Let's say I have the game over at first. She's got to you know sterilize everything down and set everything up before we have the game. So she's got to make sure because she's got two kids, eight and six. They're off of school for a month because Michigan, all Michigan schools have been shut down for a month. So yes, please follow all of this. There. All right. I'm going to get off my soapbox now. Had to be done. Tension breaker. All right. Well, great. Okay. So uh, we don't, we're running out of time, so we won't be able to discuss the, this last thing. But I do want to recommend that uh, you get everyone who likes this supplement, who's interested in it, also check out Tritax Cloisters, which also take place after a post-apocalyptic disaster, which is nuclear war. But the fact is, is that they go through the same kind of issues and they have a really nice map yes. of Michigan, which can serve as a really, which you can also use as your map in uh, Rogue 417. So you wouldn't be able to do the uh, uh, the adventure taking place with uh, the Warlord of Huntington, but the other things would probably work just fine. And of course, all the charts would work and they have nice groupings of warlords and other types of people that you might have to deal with. So definitely check that out as a additional uh, resource for this particular game uh, campaign setting. So thanks everybody for listening to us. We hope that you, you've taken this uh, as a uh, fun thing to do while you're dealing with the very serious reality that Trav just uh, talked about. And we hope to see all of you on the other side. Uh, with uh, a happy, healthy, and continuing to play all the games we love. And we're going to have more for you, but you're going to have to wait until next week. So until then, this is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there. So go explore them. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Gaming on the Frontier podcast is wholly owned by its hosts, it is released under the Creative Commons 3.0 license, no commercial reproduction, and any use of any element of the podcast must be attributed to the Gaming on the Frontier podcast.
Hi, this is Trav from the Travcast. Listen to me Tuesday nights, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern on listen.dementiaradio.org colon 8027.